0: Hey guys, you're listening to The Big Picture, which is a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. And today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by Talk the Thrones. Make sure to watch The Ringer's new live reaction show, Talk the Thrones, each week as Andy Greenwald, Mother of Dragons Mal Rubin, Chris Ryan, and our very own Maester Jason Concepcion are coming to you live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones every episode of Season 7. Talk the Thrones will stream exclusively on Twitter and Periscope right after each episode ends and can be found on The Ringer's Twitter handle, at Ringer. They'll be reacting at the same time as you, contextualizing the events and explaining everything that just unfolded. Again, the show is called Talk the Thrones. You can stream it live after the East Coast airings of GOT Season 7 on our Twitter and Periscope at Ringer. Welcome to The Big Picture. My name is Sean Fennessy. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Ringer. And we have a really great show today because we are joined by the writer of two of my favorite movies of the last few years, Sicario and Hell or High Water. His name's Taylor Sheridan, and also he's a director now. He has a new movie called Wind River, starring Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen, out this Friday. But before that, I'm joined by the Sicarioologist, <laughs> the doyen of the drug war. That's right. The executive editor of The Ringer, Chris Ryan. What's up, Chris? What's going on, man? Chris, you love Taylor Sheridan's movies.
1: Uh, yes, I do. What we want to find out is whether I love them for Taylor Sheridan or the people who make them. What do you mean by that? Well, I, too, love Sicario, and I love Hell or High Water, but I want to find out with Wind River, which I have not yet seen, am I reacting to two very, very fine directors interpreting his work, or am I reacting literally to his script? So this is something that
0: Taylor and I talked about a little later in the show. And it is an interesting thing because Wind River is a little bit different from his first two screenplays. And, you know, we should talk about those this, these three movies. He has said, this is a trilogy about the American frontier. Sicario is about the drug war. Hell or High Water is essentially about poverty in Texas. Wind River is about violence against women in Native American Wyoming on reservations. Okay. So these are three different ideas, but they're about sort of ignored communities or problems that we don't want to look at or deal with. And you mentioned these two filmmakers on his first two screenplays, which, gosh damn, that's really good luck to get Denis Villeneuve on your first movie and David McKenzie on your second. Absolutely. Yeah. Wind River is a little different, though. It's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more meditative. It's a little bit more, frankly, tragic and purposefully so. But, you know, one thing that I've been talking to some people about with, with Sheridan is the first two movies that you love are these really propulsive, aggressive stories. You know, like, tell me about... What's so great about Sicario? Which, as we, you have memorialized on your podcast, The Watch is a is a, a film of great importance to you.
1: Yeah, I think it's Villeneuve making a art film out of a war film and militarizing something that I think most of us think of as a crime story. Right, so it becomes this almost an apocalypse now. I mean, this has been used a lot, but this idea that it's basically the apocalypse now of the drug war—that it's uh, you have a, an audience. Cypher, who goes down the river with these um, these people on the metaphorical boat and just keeps going further and further into the jungle, in this case, the desert. So Emily Blunt's character thinks she has a moral compass and she thinks she understands what she will or won't do to get the result that she wants. And she meets these two men played by Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin, who are dissuader of those notions of what is up and what is down and what is right and what is wrong. But ultimately, it was the calling card for Villeneuve. Like, if you've seen Enemy, if you've seen Prisoners, it was just the perfect marriage of this guy who is probably the most stylish, active director working. You know, just every shot is this sumptuous, creeping, dreadful picture with this really bare knuckled, terse, noirish script yeah. that found. Some nuance in characters that I think in lesser hands could just be archetypes, just bad stereotypes. And what about Hill or High Water, which I don't, you know, I'm
0: not sure you and I have ever really discussed that movie, but is slightly different and not, I don't, I would say it's certainly as masculine, but maybe not as metaphorical. You know, that's a bank robber movie basically about two brothers who are trying to raise enough money to buy back their mother's foreclosed farm.
1: Well, that's another case where I think that Mackenzie makes this really interesting cho- choice to essentially depopulate the frontier. You know, and in a way, when you look at that movie, most of the scenes are, you have these incredible, picturesque landscapes, and there's like one or two people there, you know? And part of that is obviously, it's just a different, it's a different, you know, density of population in the West anyway, but there's a real feeling like you're watching Ghosts and you're watching these like it's g- these guys who are the last few occupants of a ghost town and that ghost town is the west it's it's texas it's these places that used to have oil or used to have industry or used to have small towns that were self-sufficient and now are just essentially like a diner a pawn shop and a liquor store and a church you know
0: yeah it's funny and and that movie in particular there was a lot of comparison to trump's america and how this is an iteration mm-hmm. of you know, red state abandonment and the people who are forgotten and what the actions that they take to avenge w- w- the way that the country has treated them. And, you know, Taylor has talked about this in the past about how, you know, some of that could be reflected and some of that is a bit overblown. And he's thinking more specifically about people and not about politics. You know, Wind River, I think, is a very similar sort of story. It's a very it's a, could be a very politicized story. And he's gotten a lot of credit for, you know, casting thoughtfully and you know, he shoots this story through the eyes of a white protagonist played by one of your favorite actors. We'll talk about him in a minute. But it's an interesting choice. And he mentioned to me that and he th- thought it would have been irresponsible to try to write the story from the perspective of the Native American characters, which makes sense. Though they play a huge part in the story and are, I would say are not marginalized at all. But the white man in question is, uh, is Jeremy Renner. <laughs> and you you love Jeremy Renner.
1: I do. I mean, I think Jeremy Renner is a really interesting test case of someone who probably isn't magnetic enough to play Captain America, but is still famous enough to be in The Avengers. <laughs> and because of that, has taken up a lot of his time with being in Mission Impossible and being in The Avengers and being in you know, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunter, or whatever the hell that was called. And hasn't really appeared in enough movies like The Town and Hurt Locker And The Immigrant, you know, these movies are happening too infrequently for my taste for how good I think he is in them. Um, He brings a real like stoic humanity that reminds me a lot of guys like Robert Ryan, like these, you know, these great face, great silent actor that doesn't does a lot with a little. And it's just a really inventive guy. And the best kind of combination of those two are the movie that I am pretty much on an island about being obsessed with, which is Born Legacy, which I think he's excellent in. But he's a really interesting person where it's like, came out of Hurt Locker, obviously picked up a lot of franchise work, and essentially, I think it's really important to understand, was supposed to take over Mission Impossible. Yes. Which explains a lot about what's happening. In some ways, he has been tied up with the Mission Impossible movies. I don't think he's in the new one. And the Avengers movies. And the Avengers movies, too. He has been the most disgruntled member of that ensemble. He has the worst powers. You know, he's a good archer. But it sounds like he's also like... I they put put me in front of this green screen. I have no idea what part of the script I'm reading. I just say what they tell me to say, and then I I get out of there. But you know, they've never been like well, this. Is like he had his kind of an, a moment in Age of Ultron, but like I, I think for the most part. You he's, mean when they went back to the farmhouse? Yeah,
0: with Linda Cardellini. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was a moment.
1: Yeah, but that's like <laughs> seven years of his life to get like one scene with Linda Cardellini. It's like <laughs> think about all the other movies he may, could have couldn't have made. Now he may kill the messenger. There's stuff in 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 his filmography. He he's not great in Arrival, but I think it's just uh, it's tough. You know, he hasn't really he I think he's an example of the bad side of our actors getting too locked down by these. Hey, we're going to need you for eight months every other year, nine months every other year.
0: So that's interesting the way you describe him, too. I would say Wind River, regardless of what you think of the movie, is a great use of his talent because he's very taciturn. He's very masculine. And he is like he's a person that you believe as a skill set guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like he does one thing really well. Sure. You know, he can be Ethan Hunt's number two. He can be a, a master archer. In this movie, he plays a predator tracker. Oh, and killer! Great, um, which you can imagine how his skills come into play in a movie um, in which he has to hunt down uh, murderers. Um, but there is something still a little bit vacant or absent, and in this movie, it makes a lot of sense because he's kind of a hollowed-out guy who's had a very difficult and tr- and troubled family past. But for me personally, I've never quite been on the. Um, on the renter train okay. the way that you have been um I, in part because i think he he's been unable to save movies like kill the messenger in the past which on paper is catnip for me and then if he can't sell it then it won't work but maybe the,
1: and maybe that's why he's not yeah, been hunt number 2 yeah know? i mean a lot of the times it's like it's not necessarily like you, you know I do do think to some extent the market determines your value, and like he probably could make a lot more out of the franchise appearances he, he's had. There are other people in Mission Impossible movies who are on the screen for a lot less time than him, who are like, "I'm gonna have a ton of fun while I'm doing this."
0: That's the thing. I think I think he has a fun problem, yeah, um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Robert, I would never describe Robert Ryan as a, a fun as a fun, a fun actor, yeah, right, exactly. But but by making the choice that you say you make, you know, he's, he is he has to be Hawkeye now for another five years. Can I ask you
1: one quick Sheridan question before you get into the interview? Yeah. Do you feel like he pulled more from Sicario, Hell or High Water? Like where, what kind of, what, what is his sort of style in his first time behind the director's in the director's it's chair? It's way more John Ford. Interesting. You know, it's way more
0: the big open vistas and the snowy mountains and um, one man struggle against another, and it's a it's a very moral, quiet, tragic movie that then. In the final act, turns into this explosive combination of the best parts of Sicario and Hell or High Water. Okay. I would say the movie is completely worth it for the, for the, for the ending. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I mean, Chris, thank you for coming in and sharing your expertise on the truth about masculinity in movies <laughs> and about Jeremy Renner. That's great. And now let's go to my interview with director, writer Taylor Sheridan. Taylor, how are you, man?
2: Good, man. How
0: you doing? I'm really good. Thank you for taking the time out. I know you're a busy man.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: So listen, Taylor, Wind River completes uh, the trilogy that you started with Sicario and later uh, had Hell or High Water. And you've said these movies are about the American frontier. And I'm, I'm curious about these three movies together. Were they written as a piece or ha- did they come at separate times as a writer?
2: I wrote Sicario first. They were written in the order they're coming out. You know, I, I finished Sicario and went straight into Hell or High Water and then straight into Wind River over a period of about six months.
0: Did you know that as you were writing Sicario that a movie like Wind River was coming or, or does this just all happen organically?
2: I was plotting out the next two as I was writing Sicario. And I wanted to do them right on top of each other as a writer so that I could make sure that the themes were fresh and they wove together accurately and well You know, thematically so that you know, if I took a tremendous amount of time, then someone might have optioned one of them and made alterations or changes that would have eliminated that or, or minimized it. They were all three completed before any of them were taken out to the marketplace.
0: What is it about stories in these parts of the country that appeal to you?
2: Well, I, I just think it's fascinating. We're, we're such a new country, uh, really. And and the West was only settled 130 years ago. and And to think about how little it's changed in certain areas. Um, and all of these places are in the shadows of, of massive urban centers or destinations and and you know that have been altered completely. And so to to look at that to me is is, is a really interesting way to you know examine ourselves.
0: So Wind River is in part about the violence against women in Native American communities and on reservations. How did this first come to you? Did you have a lot of experience with this issue? Why was this part of this trilogy that you were writing?
2: Well, yes. I I live in Wyoming now, not far from the res, and I've had a lot of experience. I've spent a lot of time on, in Indian country, and you know, this is a very common, tragically common issue, and I, I managed to find a way that I felt made it interesting and visceral and exciting, hopefully, to to watch, and yet still emotional for an audience. And uh, it's a very delicate subject for a number of different reasons. And so, you know, you have to very carefully navigate those things. I think our job is to hold the mirror up to our world and and showcase these issues that, that don't get the attention that they deserve.
0: Do you ever have ever ever have apprehension about tackling something like this as a white person or thinking about the criticism that's gonna happen, or do you just focus on writing the story that you want to
2: write? You know, there's apprehension with anything you write. And, and obviously you you know, I had to be very aware because I could be naive or arrogant and misrepresent something. But I took a tremendous amount of time and again, because I've spent enough time in the community in Indian country that I I understood very plainly, you know the realities of that world and a way to write from the point of view uh, as a white man about their world. And I think what would have offended them is if I had attempted to tell it from a Native American point of view, because I don't have that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you show your scripts to other people and have them vet them? Or do you try to keep it a solitary experience?
2: Very solitary <laughs> until it's done. And then I have, a you know, a few people that I trust that I have look at them I need to hear the same thing three times before I look at addressing it, um, <laughs> because everyone's going to have different opinions and just different tastes. And no matter what I did, there will be someone that won't like a specific story. And likewise, there are things I could do. I could make some pretty bad screenwriting choices, and there are some people that'll still love it because it, for whatever reason, it speaks to them. There's a consistency that I'm looking for when I'm when I have people read my my screenplays and things that they question or doubt.
0: Have you ever ch- changed something really significant in a screenplay after getting a, a note three times like that?
2: I don't think so. Usually if you take the time, which is a difficult thing to do in our business, but since these are all original ideas and they're specs and I wasn't hired to write them, so I'm not trying to satisfy uh, or marry different different visions. I think that's where a lot of the challenges come into play, but because it's my story, uh, and then there's, no, there's no rush to complete it. It's done when it's done. Uh, you know, I have the time to, to examine these things myself. I can recognize a big script flaw. The, the big ones are easy to spot. It's the little ones that become big
0: that are tricky. Right. You know, you mentioned that you're writing these stories for yourself and you are not doing for hire work. I assume after a movie like Sicario, you got a lot of opportunities to do for hire work. Is, is, that, is that true?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do. I've, I have done assignments, but assignments are, are different uh it it you know it depends on you know sometimes you want to go on a ride
0: well you you said something interesting about that once you you said that um you know the true theme of the, the trilogy is is failed fathers but then you wrap it in a a suspense thriller package you know like what comes first for you is is it that theme or is it the suspense thriller
2: no it's the theme and then it's what's the best sugar on this pill mm-hmm. you know what's the most if you look at it's Sicario, which is really, I mean, it's a thriller in the truest of senses, but it's structured like a Greek, like a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So it's on a five-act structure, like a Shakespearean tragedy. Power, High Water is a dissertation on the death of a way of life, and it's wrapped in a buddy road flick slash bank heist movie. And when River is essentially CSI Wyoming, told in a two-act structure, the goal with each of these is to try and create something that's really exciting Uh, to watch and suspenseful and thrilling and yet emotional and give you something to think about, you know, hopefully days or weeks after you've seen it.
0: It's interesting to hear you say, CSI Wyoming, I saw someone write that in a review this week about the movie and I was like, huh, I wonder if that would offend Taylor or not. But that's, you know, in some ways you do use this kind of like detective noir structure on this new movie. And, And then the movie does really blow up and has some incredible tense action near the end of it. Were you always trying to plot this one out in in a slightly slower structure this time around?
2: Well, there was a sense that in in the first half of the film, I wanted it to feel like this sad, slow meditation on on grief and discovery. And then the further you get from any form of civilization, the more frenetic and chaotic the world becomes as as the rule of law gives way to the laws of nature. I wanted that sense that even though they're hunting, they felt hunted, um, and I wanted the violence that comes to seem senseless and be incredibly abrupt. Because in reality, it is. We have a false notion about about violence in these events from cinema because they're they're created in a way to magnify the you know the tension for an audience. These big, long, drawn out battles, etc. You know, I, I think I. Compiled, which was pretty morbid, about an hour and a half's worth of this-involved shootings. Some massive engagements, some very rapid things. None of them lasted longer than a minute. They were incredibly brief, and incredibly violent, and, and guys didn't fall down when they got hit. They didn't get blown backwards very frequently. and I wanted it to have that sense of realism.
0: This is something you did before you started Wind River?
2: It's something I did before I directed it.
0: And let's talk about that a little bit. So you had two really gifted filmmakers making your first two films, which, uh, you know, I think is very lucky in some respects. And then you obviously have decided to make this movie. I've I've heard you say that you felt like you were the person who could best, you know, treat and respect this material that you wrote. But was there anything about it that made you nervous trying to direct?
2: Everything. I said that specifically in connection with portrayal of Native American culture Mm -hmm. that I knew. I did, was I saying I think I could direct it better than Denis or David? No. Uh, that's not what I meant. What I meant is I could execute this vision in a way that was, that was well-received and did exactly what I wanted it to do for this community, and that I did. It was more the manner in which the material was treated for, for the very people that I was. I was hoping to give a voice to than it was any cinematic style or, 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 or filmmaking achievement
0: that makes any sense. No, it does. And, you know, you many people know that you were an actor for, for many, many years before you were a writer and, and a director. Did you know when you were working on Sons of Anarchy, for example, that one day you wanted to be behind the camera or has this been a really recent revelation for you?
2: It's something I've always wanted to do but it it was one of those things that how does the college dropout do that you know most filmmakers have studied film Mm -hmm. um i realized one day i have too i just didn't realize i was doing it you know all of my adult life on tv and film set you know i was friends with writers and and uh and kurt was was very open about discussing story and said some really smart things as a a, you know when he directed episodes and it started to peel the curtain back for me and i started to see okay you know i I'm understanding this from a structural standpoint. You know, actors get on the caboose of the train. And the the screenwriter, you know, he designs the engine, and and then the director drives it.
0: What was the hardest thing about it that you didn't expect once you were in that chair?
2: That every single decision is the director's. There is no decision that can be delegated. I I was talking to someone yesterday where I said directing is the only socially acceptable form of dictatorship left on Earth. Uh, (laughs) It's just, it is a dictatorship. It Some really people might like disagree um, with that, but you know. Not directors. <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot of other people. Of the director Will Pete Berg told me before I started, he said, look, I was going to walk up to you at one point with three pebbles in their hand. Uh, one's going to be a sand colored pebble. One's going to be a tan pebble. And one's going to be uh, an ash colored pebble. And I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter which pebble you choose but it matters which pebble you choose. <laughs> and I had no idea what the hell that meant until I knew what it meant. You know, every decision matters, but you just have to make it.
0: Will this affect how you write in the future? If you're going to direct another film, I assume you will.
2: The challenge is to, is to try and not let it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it can. you know, as a director, I can go, gosh, it's going to be difficult. It's going to take so many days. It's going to be too hard. Uh, let me, let me shrink the scope of that moment. Uh, that would be the director in me um, or let me manage that moment in a different way. And you just have to write the movie you see in your head and you can't put those limitations on it uh, in its inception. You know, you've got to just let it be what it is.
0: Tell me about how you cast the movie. So Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen are two of your stars. We talked a little bit about um, also casting, you know, native American actors and wh- what kind of process did you go through there to, to make sure that you were getting the people you wanted?
2: Well, I think having been an actor, I know what to look for. Some people may get really focused on a look and I'm I'm looking for, you know, an honesty and an essence. And I think that you can see in this cast, even with some actors that haven't had a lot of experience, there there was a real subtlety and an honesty to every performance. I think it's what I'm proudest of.
0: Do you miss acting yourself?
2: Not even a little.
0: <laughs> hey guys, let's take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Support for today's show comes from Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. Unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your own books. You can access them anytime, anywhere from almost any device. Your iPhone, your iPad, Android, Amazon Fire tablets, or Windows Phone. Plus, thanks to the great Listen guarantee, if you don't like your title, you can swap it out for a new one. Not to mention, Audible Channels gives you a collection of exclusive originals, short stories, and comedy, so you can always have something new to listen to. Let me recommend something on Audible right now. It's a book recently that I engaged with called West of Eden. By the late oral historian Gene Stein. This oral history is incredible. It's a story of Hollywood from the 1920s through the 1960s, the power brokers of, of the town of Hollywood. And on this audiobook, The full cast from this oral history is reading their parts. So it's really a very exciting experience. I highly recommend you guys check out Audible to use that right now. So to check out West of Eden or get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial, just go to www.audible.com backslash picture. That's www.audible.com backslash P-I-C-T-U-R-E. And you can get your free audiobook 30-day trial right now. Okay, now back to my interview with Taylor Sheridan. Do you read the reviews of your work and, and what's going to define success on Wind River for you?
2: You know, reviews are tricky. I, I was told by a filmmaker, just read the good ones. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I was told by another filmmaker, just read the bad ones. And then, you know, Pete told me, don't read any of them. I think that um, you want the work well-received. People are going to have different opinions. Success for me, at the end of the day, and this is no disrespect to film critics. The movies aren't made for them. You gotta make the movie for audiences. So for people to go see it and and and, and it move them, that's the goal. And also for the people the movie's about, to go, yes, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you told that story and you told it in an authentic way. You know, that's the goal. It's for the person that decided to take two hours out of their day or night and 14 bucks out of their wallet and sit down and go, okay, take me there. They felt it was a journey
0: worth taking, Then I've done my job. Tell me a little bit now about what you're working on next. You have a TV series at the Paramount Network with Kevin Costner called Yellowstone. What what should people expect from that?
2: It's a much different look at the West, uh, an entirely different genre bend to it. You know, television gives you a, gives you an opportunity to examine a world at a much slower pace. It's not two hours. You know, it's 70 hours, hopefully. Um <laughs> And you get a chance to really dive in and get this, you know, study human nature and look at this place and really invent a world that gets to live for a while. And it's a really it's a fascinating creative outlet for a storyteller and for actors. And it's something that audiences seem to really enjoy, the familiarity of returning to this world and, and, and moving through it. It's become a really interesting filmmaker-friendly medium. Fifteen years ago, it wasn't that at all. And now it is. And so it's great to get an opportunity to, to look at the world with that big a lens.
0: Does it feel like uh, significantly different as a TV experience, even from the past few years that you weren't working on television?
2: Well, I'm shooting it like a movie because mm-hmm. uh, I wrote them all. And so I'm shooting them like a, a, a really obscenely long film. And I'm at that, at that point in, in prepping the, this really long movie that I, I feel ridiculous and it and feels stupid which is which is what every filmmaker told me. There's that one moment when you question everything you're doing, and, and it's usually right before you start. And, uh, and so that's the moment I find myself in right now.
0: Well, good luck on that, and uh, congratulations on your directorial <laughs> debut. <laughs> and uh, Taylor, thanks for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. Hey,
2: I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, man. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show, guys, and come back next week because I have a really great interview with the brother Safdie. That's Josh and Benny. Their new movie, Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson, is one of the best crime movies I've seen in the last few years, so uh, be sure to check that out on The Big Picture, and thanks for listening.